Well, I would highly recommend you taking notes. And what I'm going to do tonight is, uh, like I mentioned this morning, I'm going to walk you through kind of the Romans road. And, and one of the things that I think is, is helpful that really helped me when I was first starting to give out the gospel is to have something where I could know where to go to next. And so to, to have something written next to a verse that would tell me which verse to go to next and which one to go to next and all of that kind of stuff. And what I'd recommend is that you don't write that in your Bible tonight. Okay? Take some notes, write these things down on a piece of paper, go back and look at it, figure out the way that you'd like to map through the Bible, and then write those next to it in your homework, all right? So I'm going to give you some homework tonight with that, and uh, maybe not tonight, but this week at some point to, uh, to take some time to go through and look at it yourself, okay? Um, I would just recommend taking some notes tonight. That way you can write some, because I've got a few extra verses that I think might be helpful for you to throw in there for somebody, and you might want to put more than one verse next to, um, next to those references, or next to the verse. So, so let me back up and just say what I've mentioned uh, before as far as how to do this. So t- turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 is a great place to start. Because one of the questions that you ask people, that you can ask somebody, is do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And what is... Well, I want this to be a little bit interactive tonight, okay? If you have a question, I want you to raise your hand, and don't, don't be offended if I tell you that we're going to get to it, all right? Because we may get to that question, and it, it, it might be a little bit of a process. But let me ask you that. When you ask somebody, do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, what do most people say? Aiden, I think so. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, I hope so, right? I, I'm, I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I think I will, you know, right? You have a question, or are you going to answer? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who knows? That's right. Now, this is why 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13 is a great place to start. So the only thing you really need to remember is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Because when you get there, and we'll read it here in a second, but when you get there, you can write next to that verse what the next verse for you to turn to would be. And then once you get to that verse, then you can write next to that one what the next one is to turn to. That, that will help you as you walk somebody through this. And what I'm saying is I would highly recommend that tonight you don't write anything in your Bible, okay? Don't write, and don't write anything next to the verses yet. Take some time to go back through some of these things that we're going to look at tonight and write it next to, you, next to the verses in your Bible when you have time to sit down and look at it yourself, okay? So 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What I tell people is this. Hey, if the Bible says that you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die, he says that ye may know that ye have eternal life, then there must be a plan. There must be a way. Can I take some time to show you what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die? And listen, today, a lot of people don't really care. Because they don't think it's a big deal. They think, well, you know, I'll get to the end of this life and I'll stand before God and, you know, the big man upstairs is either going to let me in or he's not, you know. And, and, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but a lot of times they don't either. That's just what they, that's how, that's how lightly they take it, right? Um, and it's, it's one of those things that, that we have to make them understand the importance of what we're dealing with here. We are dealing with eternity, Right? And, and I get an opportunity to, to preach funerals a lot. And I don't know, I think I probably preached, I know I've preached over 15, it's probably been closer to 20 funerals that I've preached. And I tell them, 
uh, every single time. And, and believe it or not, okay, you remember when J.J. got saved, right? He, uh, uh, his mother was actually killed in a car accident right out in front of the church building when we were working on the building. And so we were here when it happened. And so um, they asked me to preach the funeral. And I never miss an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody at a funeral. And I tell them, hey, I know at a time like this, you probably are thinking more about death and dying. You're probably thinking more about eternity than you normally would be. And I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't at least give you some hope in sharing with you how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die. And then, and, and, and this might be something that you could tell somebody at their door. You know, a, a lot of times when you're standing at somebody's door, they, they, they are in the middle of cooking or they're in the middle of watching a TV program that they don't want to miss anything of. That, you know, they, uh, they have a lot of things that are going on and they don't often give you a lot of time at the door. Uh, this, is, this is to help you with that because you certainly have opportunities to give the gospel at a door when you're going door-to-door soul winning. But this is for you when you're talking to somebody that you have been friends with for a long time, somebody that you've worked with, somebody that you have maybe invited to church, which I've said many, many times, our job is not to invite them to church, it's to invite them to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do tonight is tell you how you can invite them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But what I tell them often is that, you know, the truth is that every single one of us is going to die someday. You know, the statistics are in, and one out of one dies. 100% of people die, and usually, you know, gets a little bit of a chuckle at a funeral and whatever else. But J.J. told me six months later or so when he got saved, he said, that phrase just stuck with me, and I couldn't get out of my head. Someday I'm going to die. Someday I'm going to die, and I'm going to stand before God. And you just, you just have to get them thinking they have to realize that one day they are going to stand before God. And one day they are going to give an account for their lives. And if they have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's only two options. There's either accepting Him or rejecting Him. There's nothing in the middle. There's no, well, I'm kind of a good person, so God probably will let me in, right? I went through the entire plan of salvation with somebody. Uh, I actually got called out to a death scene, <clears throat> and it doesn't happen that often that somebody will ask me, question like this, but this lady did. She said, do you think he's in heaven? Well, I, don't, I had no idea who the guy was, and I'll be honest with you, he died from a drug overdose. Uh, there's a good chance that the way that he was living his life and everything else, I mean, obviously he could have accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior at some point along the line, and that's what I told her. I said, well, I don't know. I can't tell you if he was saved or not. I said, but I can tell you how you can know for sure that you're saved, and I can tell you what he would have done if he, if, if he is in heaven right now. And I went through the entire plan of salvation with her, verse by verse, and she said, well, I just don't think that God would send him to hell. He's such a good person. I think God would have accepted him into heaven. And you have to just say at that point, hey, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we each have to make that decision whether we accept or reject Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. So 1 John 5.13 is a great place to start. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And then I tell them that God's made the way to heaven very simple. Um, and and there's, there's any number of things that you can say. It, it all depends on the person you're talking to. all depends on how well you know that person. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who you've spent a lot of time with who may not be saved. Um, that maybe you've briefly mentioned the gospel to them before or something like that. Uh, people that maybe that you grew up with or spent, just spent a lot of time with. So it all depends on who you're talking to, what the situation is, what the scenario is, right? Um, unfortunately, when you're sitting at a drive-thru at Taco Bell, you don't have time to go 30 minutes with the gospel, through the gospel with somebody, right? 
And, and at that point, a lot of times, all we can do is give them a track and say, hey, Jesus loves you, and he wants, he wants you to know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. There's some verses on the back that will tell you how you can know for sure, right? Sometimes that's all the opportunity we get. But what we're talking about is when you have an opportunity to sit down with somebody and go through the plan of salvation with them. And so the first place that I take them after 1 John 5, 13 is Romans 3, 23. And honestly... Um, the verses that you're working on memorizing in this verse book are all in there, right? Uh, that whole first book is, is a book of verses that will help you in leading somebody to Jesus Christ. It's great for you to have these verses memorized. And you don't have to take the time to, to, do, uh, to go through there. But what I like to do often, especially with somebody that, that I've never been through the plan of salvation with before, is to sit there and turn to that passage and let them read that passage for themselves. Let them read Romans 3.23, which says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, again, depending on how much time you have, depending on what the situation is, I like to use illustrations because people understand an illustration a lot better. And you've probably heard me give this illustration many times before because I'll use it uh, in preaching uh, a message on salvation or at least in giving the gospel. But I use the illustration of jumping across the Grand Canyon. Right? You've heard me give that illustration before. And maybe... If you just want to write that down and, and put it next to it, and here's something that I'll suggest, okay? Um, if you write down First John, or if you go to First John 5:13 and right next to First John 5:13, you write Romans 3:23, so you'll know where to turn. Then maybe what you can do is just take a little piece of paper and put that illustration jumping across the Grand Canyon. All right? And here's what that illustration is. If I was going to try to jump across the Grand, go try to jump across the Grand Canyon. She's not very athletic. She's getting old, right? Uh, she goes run, jump, and I go the farthest I've ever jumped in my life, and I go 25 feet. But where do I end up? At the bottom. Because nobody can jump across the Grand Canyon, right? And I say, all right, take, the, take, the, take an Olympic long jump champion, and he runs and he breaks the world record. But where does he end up? At the bottom of the Grand Canyon, because nobody can jump across the Grand Canyon, right? It's impossible. And the same thing is true when it comes to us. Right? There may be somebody that you're sitting there in jail who's killed tons of people. He's a serial killer. He's, he's done all kinds of bad things. And you think, there's no way that that guy's ever going to get to heaven. And you're right. He cannot get to heaven on his own. Right? And I, I, I don't think of myself as being a saint, but I'm certainly not somebody sitting in prison on death row. I, I'd like to think of myself as a little bit better. But if I'm going to try to get to the glory of God, then guess where I end up? Far short. Because you can't get from here to heaven on your own. Now take somebody who is who's considered to be the greatest saint that ever lived, somebody that, that rarely sinned, somebody who helped people, and somebody who did all of these other things, and they're going to try to get to heaven. But on their own, where do they end up? Far short of the glory of God, because the Bible says there in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because we've sinned, we cannot get into heaven on our own. Right? And so I like to use that illustration. And I tell them, it doesn't matter if you have one sin. It doesn't matter if you have a thousand sins. Even one sin is enough. You can write this one down. James chapter 2 and verse number 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Right? And, I, and, and, and if I have time to take somebody through those passages, I like to take them there. Because it's very, it, it, it shows you that, look, you might be a good person. You might do a lot of things for a lot of people. You might, do your, you might go to church every Sunday. You might give money to the church. You might, you might give money to the poor. You might do all of these things. But if you've sinned once, 
Whosoever shall keep the entire law and sin in one point, you're guilty of the entire law. And so that's a, it's a, it, people have to understand that they're a sinner, and that's what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross because no matter what, if we haven't come through Jesus Christ, then when we stand before God someday, we're all in the same position. doesn't matter if you have one sin. doesn't matter if you have a thousand sins against your name. We all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And then I tell him this, number two, there's a payment for that sin. And I take him over to Romans 3. I mean, sorry, Romans 6. And that's usually the place that I'll go next. Romans 6 and verse number 23. I say, for the wages of sin is death. I usually stop there. It's a great finish on that verse, right? But I, I interrupted at that point and said, hey, the wages of sin is death. You ever, you, do you work a job? Oh, yeah. Where do you work? Such and such a place. Okay. You ever just go in and tell them that you're going to work for free today? Well, no. I mean, I, I go work. I work hard and whatever else. Okay. So you expect to get a wage, right? A lot of stuff going around today about the minimum wage. Everybody wants a certain amount of money. You might do some things for free here and there to volunteer, but if you did that for everything, you wouldn't be able to live. So you expect to work for a wage, right? Of course. The Bible says the wages or the payment for sin is death. Because we've sinned, there must be a payment for that sin, and the payment for that sin is death. Now, at that point, I'll take them to the rest of that passage, um, uh, but you know, depending, again, I, I, you know, I, I tell them also that, that uh, and, and here's, here's another couple, couple examples that you can write down, okay? So um, maybe, I don't know how you want to do this, but uh, wormhole in an apple would be a great way to put it, right? Uh, there's a wormhole in an apple. It doesn't mean that there's a worm inside that apple. It simply means that, uh, that an insect laid an egg inside the apple blossom. And sometime later, when that thing matured, that worm crawled out, right? And so you see the little hole in the apple, but it doesn't mean that there's a worm in it right now. And that's exactly what happens with us with our sin nature. Uh, it, it begins in the heart, and it works its way out, right? We sin because we're sinners, we sin because we're sinners. It's our nature. And so it doesn't matter how good you think you are. The wages of that sin is death. Here's another one that you could use as an illustration if you wanted to, but you can take a, a crooked tree, right? A lumberjack. I don't know how you want to write this down. You, don't, you might not even like the illustration, but I'm just saying you can use these. But a, a lumberjack can take a crooked tree out of a forest, and he can bring it to the lumber mill, and they can cut some nice square sides and, and have four square sides and, and, and make that perfectly straight. Uh, make it a perfectly straight and an even board, right? But if you were to stand that board up and look at it from end to end, the heart of that tree is still crooked, right? And that's what I say. There's a lot of people who, who go out there and, and they're able to reform themselves, right? Maybe they were involved in criminal activity and all that kind of stuff, and they get, they get clean and they get straight and they, you know, they get their life back together, and now they're, they're nice and straight and they look good on the outside, right? But because we're sinners by nature, the heart is still crooked, Right? That's a great place to say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? Uh, but we sin because we're sinners, and because we are sinners, there is a payment for that sin. I say, but, that verse doesn't end there, and it's a good thing that it doesn't, because it says in, in verse 23, the second half of that, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now you can also take them over to John 3.16 at that point. It's another verse that you can write down next to that. Um, you might even know it and not have to turn there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? 
Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? And again, some of these can, can, can follow a different pattern, can go in different orders and things like that. But I tell them that it's not that God hates you. God loves you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. He gave his only son. He didn't do that because he hates you and he's trying to condemn you and all these other things. He wants you to get saved. He wants you to be able to go to heaven. That's why he provided a way to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But sin cannot enter into heaven. God is absolutely holy. And because of God's holiness, he cannot look upon sin. That's why he had to turn his back on his own son. Remember, we talked about that this morning. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to turn his back on his own son. So he cannot, in his justice, as much as he loves us and as much as he is merciful, his justice demands that there be a payment for that sin. And here's another illustration that I'll use often. I'll, I'll tell them, listen, what if you were on, on, on trial? I mean, what if, what if somebody was on trial because they, they killed your son, right? And you're sitting there in the, in, the, uh, in the courtroom, and the judge comes walking in, and he says, you know what? I'm tired today. I just, I don't really feel like sitting here. Who's, who's on the docket? This guy, he's being tried for murder. You know what? I don't, feel like I don't feel like doing a trial today. Let him go free. He's free to go. He killed my son. That's not justice, right? It might be that, that he knows the judge. It might be that he's a relative of yours. It might be any number of things, but that justice was not done. He didn't, have, he didn't pay for his crimes, right? Justice and, and God's justice demands that there be a payment for that. And a lot of people understand when you start putting them in that scenario. Hey, imagine if somebody killed your son and the judge just let him go free. Right? They understand that. Put them in there. Put, make them the one that is, that is having to say, wow, that guy, didn't, that guy didn't get the justice he deserves, right? Because then we put ourselves in the same boat and we say, and, our, and God's justice demands that there be a payment for that sin. You can take them over to Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15. And you can write this verse down. But the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right? What's the book of life? How do you get your name in the book of life? These questions you can ask them. You want them to be thinking about all these things. And I know I'm giving you a lot, okay? And that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't write it down in your Bible tonight because I want you to take some time and go through it and see how you, you know, what the best way is for you to write this down. But there's, there's a, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that there's a hell, right? Then how do, you, how, do you, how do you get around the fact that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire? That's the payment for sin. The wages of sin is death, right? Here's another one, and, and I know Nitin has used this illustration before, and I think it's a, it's a great illustration. I've used it with a lot of people, and, they, and it actually helps them to, to really understand the gospel and what Jesus' death on the cross means as far as the payment for our sin. Because what you can do is, is take a, a piece of paper, and I, and I, and I didn't, didn't, it was funny, I was, I, was, I was giving the gospel to somebody, and um, they you know sitting there at the table, and they had a decent number of things sitting around on the table, and I was looking for something that had stuff written all over it. And the only thing that I could find was a lottery ticket. So I picked up a lottery ticket, and I said, look at all this writing on this lottery ticket, right? 
And uh, I said, that's, that's a list of all of our sins. And someday when we're going to stand before God and, and, and we walk to, to the gate of heaven, and, and again, it's, you know, this is not a perfect illustration of the way that the Bible talks about it, but someday I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? Let me see your paper. I'm going to present him with this paper and he's going to say, look at all these sins. You can't, you can't get into heaven with all these sins on it. I can't let you in. Right? And then I tell him, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I say, someday when I stand before God, and he says, why should I let you in? Let me see your paper. I said, I, I still have all those sins, right? Those sins are still a, a, attributed to my account. But by accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior, and then you take a piece of paper with the name Jesus written on it with nothing else, and you put that over top of that piece of paper with all of those things written on there, and they say, when I show this to God, and as, as I'm standing at the, at the gate of heaven, he's asking me why, I should, why he should let me in, and I show him that piece of paper, and he says, oh, Jesus, okay, come on in. That's all he sees. He doesn't see my list of sins. He doesn't see all the things that are against my account. Jesus Christ has covered those sins. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I can, you know, I'll often take him to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 as well, because we have to realize where sin came from. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. Adam sinned, and we inherited that sin nature. And so because we have that sin nature, then it doesn't matter if we're a great person. It doesn't matter if we, if we live a nearly perfect life. We have that sin nature, and that's passed on to us from Adam. But then I tell him, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for that sin, and that's when I take him to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth is not a real popular word, a really well-used word, and so I say, but God commendeth, or God gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I like to use an illustration here as well. I say, could you imagine... If, if somebody killed your son, all right, we will go back to that illustration. Somebody killed your son, and they're standing trial for murder, and you're sitting there, and you start feeling bad for that guy because you know that, that the evidence is mounting against him. You know that he's going to get condemned, and you know that he's going to die. And the more you sit there and the more you start to feel bad for this guy, the more it wells up into your heart, you know what, I need to do this guy a favor. And you walk up to the judge, and you say, let me take his punishment. Well, the judge says, but, but the punishment is death. This guy killed somebody. He's, he's, his sentence is death. And you say, that's fine. I'll take his punishment. And as you're walking out in shackles and this guy is being set free, he starts calling you names and he starts spitting on you and he starts saying things about your dead son. How would that make you feel? I just took this guy's place. I just gave him his life back and that's the way that he's going to treat me. But that's what that verse is talking about. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died on the cross knowing that I was going to come along, knowing that I was going to be a sinner, knowing that I was going to sin against him, and he still loved me so much that he died on the cross. That's what that verse means. God gave his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you give them the illustration of their son and them taking the place and it puts them in that position and they realize, many of them, just exactly what it is that Jesus Christ did do for them, right? I didn't deserve this at all. 
In fact, even after he did it for me, I still sinned. I still treated him that way. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there's something else that they have to understand, and I always take them over to Ephesians chapter 2. We cannot earn our way to heaven. There's a lot of religions that teach that you just have to be a good person, that you just have to work hard, that you just have to try to do what's right, that you just have to, you know, Catholics in particular will say that you have to do penance and that you have to go through a priest and all of these things. And I, I know that, and I know where they're coming from. And so without ever mentioning the word Catholic or anything like that or any other religion, I try to hit on some things that I know that they have in their mind. And I'll say, there's a lot of people who think that when they get to heaven, God's going to put their good works on one side and their bad works on the other side. And if their good works outweigh their bad works, then God's going to let them in, right? And I say, but that's not the way that it works according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's where I give him this illustration. Let's say I get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? And I say, well, look. I went to church all the time. I tried to be a good person. I gave to the poor. I helped out my neighbors. I went every week to church, and I did penance, and I did all of these other things. And I just think, honestly, I'm a pretty good person. And if God stood there and said, okay, that's good enough. Come on in. And I'm walking through heaven, and somebody says, how did you get here? And I say, well, I did this, and I did that, and I got baptized, and I gave money to the church, and I did all of these things. Then I'm there because of me. Why did Jesus Christ even have to die if, if, if I'm there because of the stuff that I've done? I said, I'm telling you what, when I stand before God and he asks me why he should let me into heaven, I'm going to have to hang my head and say, honestly, I don't know. I'm not a good person. I, I, I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm not proud of. I've done a lot of things that are sins against God. But I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And God says, okay, that's good enough. Come on in. And somebody asks me as I'm walking through heaven, how did you get here? And I'm, I'll have to say, it's not because of me at all. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for me. It has nothing to do with my works. It has nothing to do with how good I am. In fact, it's the opposite of that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hey, you're going to give your kids a gift at Christmas time, right? And he opens up a present, and he says, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. Here, Dad, let me give you $10. And it's not a gift if you say, all right, I'll take 10 bucks, right? I mean, then he paid for it at that point. He had to do something to earn it. He had to do something to deserve it, right? And the, the salvation is a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I had to pay for it, if I had to do even the tiniest thing for it, then it's not a free gift. If I had to do even the smallest amount of penance or works or any of these other things, if I had to get baptized in order to be saved, then that's works, right? If I had to go to church 10 times in order to be saved, then that's works. Add anything to it, and it's works. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So we simply must ask forgiveness and ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and save us. And there's two more passages that I'll usually take them to. And the first one is 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. After Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to come to the realization that our sin is what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross. Had I never sinned, Jesus Christ never would have had to die. 
What was he dying for? He was dying for my sin. Somebody had to make that payment, right? For the wages of sin is death. I should have been the one that was crucified. I should have, won the, should have been the one that was hanging on the cross. I should have been the one that was whipped and beaten and tortured. I should have been the one that was hung up on the cross naked and in the, in the, ripped so badly that it didn't even look like the form of a human, right? That's what the Bible said Jesus Christ did. But he took my place. He did that for me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the last one is there in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is, is usually the last place that I'll take somebody. And there's three verses there, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, and verse number 13. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And he says then there's no difference between the Jew or the Greek. There's no difference between anybody else. Anybody can come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's when he gets to verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I use this illustration at that point. I say, listen, if you are drowning, if you are a drowning man, and you saw a ship that was going past, would you say, I'm here. Hey, well, I missed it. They didn't hear me, right? No, you wouldn't. What would you say? Help, help, somebody help me, right? And that's exactly what it is when it comes to Jesus Christ, your Savior. I'm drowning in my sin. I need somebody to rescue me. Jesus Christ, save me, right? And there's no, and I tell them, there's no magic words. There's no magic prayer. There's nothing, you know, there's no particular words that you have to say to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's not some book that you have to memorize and some prayer that you have to, that you have to say that, that is going to be these magic words. It is simply a dying man realizing that he's dying in his sins and calling out for somebody to rescue him, right? That's what saved means. That's what salvation is. You're being rescued from your sin to Jesus Christ, right? For whosoever, anybody, They'll call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And, I, and I'll tell him often at that point, listen, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. I can't see your heart. I don't know what's, what's going on in your heart. But if, you'll, if you want to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to forgive your sins, God knows your heart. And he sees your heart. And if you truly mean that, if you truly, if you truly mean that in your heart, then God will save you, right? There's, and I'll tell him at that point, if you'd like, I'll pray first. And then you can pray after me. Most of well, I've, I've never prayed before. I don't even know what to say. And I say, there's nothing, there's nothing in particular that you have to say. I can lead you in a sinner's prayer. I can, I can tell you some, something that you could say. I said, but it's not the words. It's what you believe in your heart. If you believe what the Bible is saying here, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can be saved. And sometimes they'll say, no, no, I'll pray. I'll pray. You, you, you can pray, and then I'll pray after you, or something along those lines. But sometimes they do feel too shy because they've never prayed before. And so you can lead them and help, help lead them in the sinner's prayer. Um, something along the lines. And as I'm saying, again, there's, there is no magic word. There is nothing that, that is going to magically, you know, 
save them. It's not a wand that you're waving over it and, oh, you missed that word and so you don't, you're not saved, right? Um, but the sinner's prayer, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. Will you please come into my heart and forgive me for my sins and take me to heaven when I die? Something that simple. You can add things if you want to. You, you, you can do whatever else that you want to do with that, but something along those lines. If somebody is trying to repeat after you, let's say. Um, but that's generally it. Let me give you a couple other verses, and you can just write these down. I have this list. There you go. Just as some extra verses. But 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a great verse to use when somebody says, well, God did this to me, and God did that to me, and God, you know, this, and God, that. He made, he's made my life miserable. He's made my life so hard. Listen, you know, I don't understand how a good God could send somebody to hell. You've probably heard people say that, Right? I don't understand how a good God could, could condemn somebody to hell. I don't believe that he would do that. And I say, you're exactly right. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? Here's another verse that I use often, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And, and these are verses that you could insert in any of these other things that we've already talked about. I'm not saying that you would take them to these verses at the end. Um, but these are, these are verses that you, would, that you would use with somebody who... Um, who maybe you have a little bit more time with, who maybe needs a little bit more of an explanation, who maybe has asked you a question about something or, or brought up a point, something like that. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 is another one that's a very helpful thing. And that is, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is a verse that talks about Jesus Christ taking our place. Um. And then the last one that I use often is 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, that is, uh, that's a great verse to use for somebody, again, when you're trying to explain to them uh, how Jesus Christ died in our place, how Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins. And then, then uh, and, and I, said, I said that was the last one. I got to thinking about this later. Here's another passage that I'll use also. And, and you can turn over there if you want to, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, in verse 3 and 4, really, but you could go back a couple verses and, and uh, look at verse number 1 and 2. I'll just read verse, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, but by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Those verses, and he even, he even calls it the gospel. He says, this is the gospel that I preached unto you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ died to pay for my sins. Right? For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. One last verse that I want you to turn to, and I'll give you an opportunity to ask some questions if you have some questions after that. But John chapter 10. Because what often happens is, um, if you're able to lead somebody to Christ, 
They pray. They get saved. Um, I will often ask them the same question that I asked them at the beginning. Where, do you, where are you going to go when you die? Do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven? And a lot of times, like I said at the beginning, they say, well, I hope so, maybe, I might, you know. I say, hey, the Bible says you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die. And you lead them through the plan of salvation. They pray and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And by the way, not that it cannot happen, but, but people today are very uh, spiritually ignorant. Most of them do not know anything about the Bible. Used to be that, obviously, kids growing up in school got some of that. Uh, they grew up with morals, and they had a grandmother who would take them to vacation Bible school or something, right? Th there is a lot less of that today. And so a lot of times when you're talking to people for the very first time, they don't even understand it. They don't even comprehend what you're talking about. And it takes working with them several times to get them to the point where they understand the gospel. We're not trying to get somebody to just pray a prayer so we can count them as a number and say they got saved. We want them to know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die and know what they did, right? Um, and, and so I'm not saying that, that, that you couldn't meet somebody for the very first time, go through the plan of salvation with them, and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's very possible because the gospel is simple. Um, and, and many people out there are searching for something and they don't know what it is. And here you're giving them the answer. So it's very possible. It's very possible that somebody could get saved on the very first time that you gave them the gospel. But all I'm saying is be prepared to go back with them and go back with them and go back with them and keep working on them and keep working on them. Right? The Bible says some planted, some watered, God gives the increase. Right? What is planting and watering? Sharing the gospel with them. Sometimes more than once. They need somebody to plant. They need somebody to water. God gives the increase. But after I've led somebody in the sinner's prayer, or they've prayed, whatever, they, they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, I'll ask them the simple question. If you, were to die, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go? And the best thing to hear is, well, I'd, I'd go to heaven. And I say, why? How do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Most of them will say, well... Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's what, that's what you need to hear. Well, if they say, well, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a good person, then they miss the boat somewhere, right? But I'll take them to this passage in John chapter 10 and verse 28. This is something that they need to help them understand that once they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, <clears throat> they don't have to do anything to keep it. Um. Part of the Calvinistic doctrine is the perseverance of the saints, where you have to continue to persevere until you die or you're not saved. And some of them would say that you can lose your salvation. Some of them would say, well, you can't lose your salvation, but if you don't persevere to the end, you probably never had it in the first place. But the Bible says this in John chapter 10 and verse number 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's eternal security. When somebody gets saved, Jesus Christ, God, wraps them up in his hands, and there's nothing that anybody can do to take them out. That's very plain in that passage. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. This is an interesting passage. If you look at verse 20, 28, who's talking in verse 28? 
Jesus, right? And who does he say is in his hand, or, or whose hand does he say that they're in? No, he doesn't say that in verse 28. He said they're in my hand, right? I give them unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then he says, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So it's almost as if you're in Jesus' hand, and then God has wrapped his hand around it, and you're double protected, right? If you could lose your salvation, then that means you're doing something to keep it. What am I doing to keep my salvation? Nothing. There's nothing that I can do to keep my salvation. Otherwise, you're talking about a work salvation, right? I'll, I'll never be sinless. I'll never get to the point. Now, we should be trying to get to that point. That's holiness, right? That is consecration. That is sanctification. We ought to be trying to get to that point where we try to live sinless before God, but we're human. We have the flesh, and Paul talks about that all the way throughout the book of Romans. We're going to fight the flesh till we die. We'll never be perfect. But if I'm trying to be perfect so that I can keep my salvation, then I'm not trusting in Christ. I'm trusting in me, right? And I try to give people that assurance after they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior that, listen, no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You'll never lose that salvation no matter how hard you try, right? I'm a man too. I can't pluck myself out of my Father's hand. I could try to give up my salvation, but I think what's going to happen, the people who have given up their salvation, number one, they were either never saved in the first place, which is a possibility, but number two, they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they get to heaven and find out that God kept his promise, and even though they tried to give it up, they couldn't, right? God, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, <clears throat> and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What a tremendous promise. That idea that, that, hey, it's nothing of me, and it's all of him. And that's the point that people have to come to. Because I'm not saying that, that the Baptist faith is the only one where people are saved. Um, but most of these other religions. I'm a Baptist because I believe the Baptist doctrine is closest to the word of God. But I would never say that only a Baptist could be saved. I believe that there are people in other religions who are. But most of those other religions are preaching a works salvation. You've got to work for it. You've got to earn it. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to take communion. You've got to be baptized. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And if you have to do those things, then that's you. It's not Jesus Christ. And that's the point that you're trying to get people to come to the realization of. They have to get to the realization that it is none of them and all of Christ. When they get to that point, then they got it. There's a lot of other things that you could probably talk about and say in there, but here's what I'm re recommending that you do. Go home sometime this week while it's still fresh in your mind. Start with 1 John 5.13, okay? And then next to 1 John 5.13, you can write Romans 3.23. And when you get to Romans 3.23, then you can write Romans 6.23. And next to Romans 6.23, you, you can write Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. From there, you can go to Romans 5, 8. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. From there, you can go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. From Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you can go to 1 John, I'm sorry, um, yeah, 1 John 1, 9. And then Romans 10, 9, and 10, and 13. That's the simplest, okay? But you may want to put a couple other verses next to it and put John 3, 16 in there, right? And put some of these other passages in there. Revelation 20, 15. 
lake of fire. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then maybe in that little page where that verse is, just take a little piece of paper, even maybe a sticky note or something like that, and write a couple of these illustrations down so you can under, you know, not, not so you can read them verbatim, but so you can give yourself a little cue to remember, oh, that's that illustration. This is a way to, this is a way to say that, right? And listen, two things and then we're done. Number one, when you get it for yourself and when you understand what you have, when you understand what salvation is, all you're doing is, like I said this morning, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, right? That's what the gospel is. You don't have to be perfect at it. You don't have to have all the theology and doctrine and all that stuff down. You're just trying to tell somebody else how they can get saved. Hey, he threw me a life, a life vest and I grabbed onto it. And that's what you have to do too, right? Number two, the more you tell it, the easier it becomes. The more you tell it, the, the more you realize what works and what doesn't work. The more you share the gospel, the more you have an opportunity to understand it and, and, and work with somebody else, uh, work with different people from different religions and, and be able to share the gospel with them. And honestly, we've been for the last however many months going through on Wednesday nights these different religions. That is there so you can understand where they're coming from and use that to tailor the gospel to fit with what they believe. I ask some, one of the first things, and I, here's what I'm saying. There's so many things that we could talk about. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to keep it very basic so that you can have something to start with and just have a skeleton to, to, to build off of, if you will. But one of the things that I ask people um, the very first is, do you go to church anywhere? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to such and such Catholic church. Okay, now I know exactly where they're coming from. I know what they believe for the most part. And so even though I'm not going to say, Catholics are wrong. If you believe in the Catholic doctrine, you're going to hell. You don't have to say that. You know what a Catholic believes, and you take them to the verses that disprove all of the Catholic doctrines, right? And the easiest one is, is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Not a works, lest any man should boast. That one's a pretty simple one, right? But then you can use those illustrations. A lot of people think that God's going to put their good works on one side and their bad works on the other side, not weigh it, you know. See which one weighs more and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to say that that's Catholic doctrine, but that's what they believe, right? Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in hell. You tell me you go to such and such kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm going to say, all right, well, hey. You know what the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 15? Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What's that? You know? There's a lot of different places that you can go. But asking them what church they go to, and someone will say, no, I don't go to church. That's great. You know what? I'd rather have you not going to church anywhere than going to one of these churches that's teaching false things, right? But it gives you a place to start. It gives you, it gives you a way to help them get to the cross. Because it's when they kneel at the cross and they take all of their trust in themselves, all of their trust in whatever religion they have, all of their trust in all of the things that they've ever heard, and lay those at Jesus' feet, that's when the burdens are rolled away. That's when they get salvation. That's when they realize, man, this is what I've been looking for. And I'm telling you, the comfort, the peace, you, you know, because you've been there, that comes over you when you realize, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. And I tell them that. I say, listen, it's not, a, it's not a prideful thing at all. But if I was to drop dead on the floor right now, I'm not questioning where I'm going to go when I die. I know for a fact. Not because of how good I am. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because of what church I attend or anything like that. And when I'm preaching a funeral especially, I'll tell people, you don't even know what church I pastor. 
Because it doesn't matter what church I pastor. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Where do you stand with him? Because either you accept him or you reject him. There's no middle ground. There's a lot of other things that you could say, but that's a great place to start, all right? And so I'd recommend that you go through your Bible this week, write some verses down next to each of those passages so you can tell yourself where to turn next to help you lead somebody through, uh, really Romans, but, but through the Bible to get them to Jesus Christ. We're a little past time, not, not too bad, but does anybody have any questions? Any, any, anything that you've, and of course, obviously, I'll be around afterwards as well, so. All right, very good. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer, and then we'll sing our song, and we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share the message of the gospel. Thank you for its simplicity. I thank you that even a child can understand and get saved. And God, I thank you so much that you allowed me to grow up in a place where I heard the gospel at a young age and was able to get saved. I pray, I pray that this would be something that would yield much fruit in our church that we'd be able to share the message of the gospel with a lost and dying world, with people who need Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us to be bold witnesses for Jesus. I think that's one of the biggest hindrances to, to sharing the gospel is not necessarily that we don't know it. We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid of what people are going to think. We're afraid that we're going to mess up. We're afraid that we're going to make mistakes or whatever else. But God, I pray that you would help us to be bold in sharing the message of the gospel, especially, especially, with those that we know. And God, I pray that we'd see much fruit from it. Well, thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go on.